This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. Michelle McAdoo here along with my co-host, Tara Wren, Director of Education at MPB. Well, it's time for students to return back to school, but what will classrooms look like beyond COVID-19? Well, today we're taking a closer look at districts reopening plans with our guest, Paddle School District Superintendent Dr. Matt Dillon and Gulfport School District Superintendent Glenn East. Now, we're also taking your questions and comments, and I'm sure you have plenty. So the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Well, good morning, Tara. Good morning, Michelle. How are you today? I'm doing well. Glad to have you back in the studio with me. Good to <laughs> be here. Week. I know. <laughs> Last week was a little challenging. Yes, it was But different. we made it through. We did. I uh, like to see your face and talk to you face to face here. Absolutely. Well, how was your week? Week's been good, busy. We we'll finished busy. off a grant that we talked about. You last did week finish the grant. Congratulations! Yay. And hopefully we will get it and help a lot of schools in the state of Mississippi. That's wonderful. Now, um, talk about what else you guys are working on in the education department, or if you like to talk about that grant again and what it will do for the state of Mississippi. Yes. Yeah, so we have a digital education network, which is a um, video conferencing, um, distance virtual learning. Um, service that we offer to schools, like you can have a teacher at one end of the state teaching two or three hundred students across hundreds of miles away oh, in wow. a classroom. So it serves very well for schools within our network, um, particularly now, you know, for through virtual learning yes. through COVID nineteen, and it helps um, come back the help with the ease the tension or the pains that districts have with the um, teacher shortage as now, well. Now you mentioned um, that the st- school districts or the schools themselves can opt into this program. Um, Have you guys been reaching out to the individual districts or it has to go through the districts or each individual school? Well, a lot of them are going through, you know, their districts, of course. And um, we wrote the grant and wrote some schools into the grant. But one thing that I I have been telling teachers and principals and, and superintendents that I've talked to that you don't have to wait for the grant. There's a small investment that they can make now if they're having teacher shortage issues or to secure, you know, there's um, classroom teachers for if we have to be out of school right. again. And they can make a small investment to the company to purchase the, purchase the equipment. But our service is free. And they can do that. And we can be up and running by, you before know, before right. school starts. So that's one of the things that we're working on right now is registering um schools into the network and so if you want to be a part please give us a call we can give you some information and i don't think a lot of schools know districts that got cares funding mm-hmm. they can use that cares funding for to purchase the equipment and it's it's a small small fee for such a great service right. to their students and if they're missing teachers and it's helping the teachers out we're going to talk about that of course in depth with our superintendents later on in the show but the teachers right now did not get their raises and that they have more responsibility added on to what they're going to have to do this year either hybrid virtual and face-to-face it's a lot so you you're taking some of that off of uh, teachers administrators administrators and um, putting all that pressure on having to uh, stack or have the 
school building filled with actual bodies. That's a good thing. That is a number. That's a, is a good mm-hmm. point. So. Can you give them that number and the website where they can go and look at that grant? So, yes, you can call us at 601-432-6565 or go and get information on education.mpbonline.org. All right. Well, we have some great tips this week, and uh, we decided, since we're talking to administrators, we decided to give tips to administrators and principals this week. Now, these tips come from Dr. Michael Kozak. He's a professor at Drexel University, Drexel University, and he has a few tips for principals and superintendents on leading during the COVID-19 pandemic. Number one is be flexible and adaptive to this new learning environment. Kind of what you just said, um, Tara, looking Mm -hmm. at different options that are available for Mm -hmm. their schools. Um, Also, number two, leadership also means looking out for the physical and mental well-being of students. Please be aware that bullying, um, because of the anxieties of surrounding COVID-19, bullying may be um, more prevalent this year, this school year. So be aware of all of those things that are happening in your school. Number three, offer frequent communication. Very, very important. I know from the teachers to the um, parents to the students, be clear and transparent. That's what people are looking for. Also, number four, be aware of potential threats. That's very good. Also, don't operate in a vacuum. I really like that one. That's a good one. Um, If you're a principal, you should be communicating with your superintendent during this period. It's also important to be constantly checking in with your teachers to see how they're doing and let them know about any update. Mm -hmm. Very important. Mm -hmm. Number four, what is this? Number six, (laughs) uh, look at current policies. Love this one. Look at your current policies and see if they need to be updated to address the current situation we're in now, uh, especially um, in keeping your students safe and students and staff safe at the same time. So that's going to be challenging. And we're going to talk to our superintendents About later today. on how they're going to balance that. Yeah. But that's very important. And last but not least, step back and reflect. Mm-hmm. Say to yourself, what have we learned from this and how can we put things in place to help us should we ever come across something like this again. Yeah. Love and it. And I would say add add to that list, have grace with yourself. Give you know, be a Love little that be one. a lot of forgiving with yourself. And you know, we don't there are a lot of things we don't know. We're finding out as we go and you know Be flexible. Be like flexible. you said. Don't things. be afraid to make a decision and it's not the right one at the time. You can always get back together and, you know, talk about it and and, and, and revamp. I so love that. Be flexible. Because, you know, you think about it. We're, we're as parents, we're mm-hmm. thinking about how we feel. Mm-hmm. As students, they're thinking about how they feel. Teachers are thinking about how they feel. But believe it or not, the administrators, the principals, and the superintendents have this big responsibility on their shoulders. And they do take it personally. So if one of their students... Uh, tra- um, you know, becomes tested, test positive or ha- they have an outbreak in their district, mm-hmm. they're going to take that personally. So, mm-hmm. again, um, like you said, understand that things will change drastically every day. So be aware of the current mm-hmm. uh, medical facts mm-hmm. and make try to make good decisions based on those facts. The best decisions Love possible. that, love yes. that. Well, it's time for us to take our first break, and when we return, we'll welcome Petal School District Superintendent Dr. Matt Dillon. Now, if you have a question or comment for the show, we really want to hear your questions and comments, because I know people are out there talking about um, how safe it is right now to return to school. Some teachers don't want to return to schools, and some do. So if you have comments or questions about that topic, give us a call at one 672 7464 
more. Stay tuned. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. Still want to stay informed about your children's education? Subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, professor of pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. Michelle McAdoo here, along with my co-host, Tara Wren, Director of Education at MPB. And today we're discussing Mississippi students heading back to school. Now, if you'd like to share your questions or comments, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Now, let's welcome to the show our first guest, Petal School District Superintendent, Dr. Matt Dillon. Good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Good. We're doing well. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I know within your busy schedule, taking a little time out to speak to us is not that easy. But again, thanks for doing that. Well, before we begin talking about, of course, reopening plans and the whole nine, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and how long you've been with the Petal School District. Sure. I'm a product of public schools in Columbia, Mississippi, graduated Columbia High, then from there, I uh, went, went to a junior college, and then I got my elementary education degree with a minor in science at the University of Southern Mississippi, to the top. Uh, and then also uh, I taught for many years and, and then was a baseball coach as well in the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And I went to the top of the state, and I was there uh, teaching, worked as an assistant principal as well, then moved my way up to high school principal. And during that time, I got my master's degree at the University of Mississippi and my Ph.D. there as well. Um, so I've served in many, many roles as a teacher, assistant principal, uh, principal multiple times at a, a junior high, a few high schools, assistant superintendent, and now I'm going into my seventh year as superintendent of the Petal School District. Um, from a family perspective, I have a beautiful wife, Marianne, of 16 years. I have three children, uh, Nathan, 
um, who is a rising seventh grader, Peyton, a rising sixth grader at the caboose. I have Anna Kate Booth going into <laughs> first grade. So uh, uh, they're all heavily involved in the federal school district and in the community. So uh, just glad to be here. Wow. So you're not only a superintendent, but you're a parent as well. So you know both sides of uh, this coin right now. Exactly right. Yes, ma'am. So I'm sure, of course, it hasn't been an easy time for you, uh, given your position. Can we go back just a little bit to March when schools first shut down? How did you and your team respond? Yes, uh, as things started unfolding uh, unfolding right there in March, uh, what people have to understand, there's no manual or there's no guide for situations such as this. Uh, you know, we've all in, in the field of education experienced bad weather days. We've experienced other things uh, that can be quite challenging, but uh, nothing to this magnitude as far as uh, just not knowing when the end is in sight. So we came back from spring break, uh, kind of not knowing what was going on and leading up to that. And, and then we got the word from uh, from the governor on the decision. And uh, during a short amount of time, we had to shift gears on how are we going to transition to at-home learning. And I'm so proud of our team. And just a short amount of time, our administrative staff uh, giving up their spring break to, to come up with a plan and then working with teachers and just the way that our teachers responded, as they always do, and caring for, for students and families. And then to be able to effectively uh, provide an at-home learning plan. Um, I was very proud of the efforts, one of those one of those moments in your career that you're just so proud of because everybody rallied together uh, around a common cause and a common goal. And then um, throughout the course of that fourth nine weeks, still not knowing, going week to week, day to day, not knowing, all right, are we going to get to come back or we're not going to get to come back? Mm-hmm. And uh, we just had to prepare multiple different options just in the, in the event that we could come back. Mm-hmm. So what was some of the biggest lessons you learned from spring 2020 when preparing to reopen the school district this fall? Well, one of the biggest things, just talking to parents and everything else, that there's nothing that can replace a student being in front of a teacher. We know uh, the success that comes with students being with teachers in the classroom, uh, not only the academic side, just the, uh, the social emotional aspect, being around their peers and things like that. However, there's been some positives that have come from this. We have uh, some teachers that maybe did not think that they were as uh, equipped or could adapt to technology as much as they have. And, you know, when all this, all, when everything shakes out, whenever this might be, and we get back to whatever the new normal is going to look like moving forward, I think we, we've reflected over the summer and realized there were some positives that came from that experience uh, that we're going to be able to take with us and move forward, even going into um, many school years down the road from now. So, uh, you know, more than anything, I just loved how our district continued to connect with families and, and students. Uh, it could have been so easy for us just to say, you know, we don't see them. It's just tough to do. Uh, but we didn't use that as an excuse. And we continue to connect with them, continue to check in on them, but also try to, to promote academics as well and make sure that they had that routine at home to the best of our ability. It's always good, Dr. Dillon, to find that silver lining and the positive in a thing, and that just kind of energizes you and sounds like that's what your team did along the way there. Um, I want to ask, you, along with eight other superintendents around the state, were chosen to be a part of MDE's Reopening Schools Work Group, and I'm sure that was uh, an honor to be asked to serve on, on that team of committee. Can you talk a little bit about the committee? And who else was a part of it? 
Definitely, definitely. It was an honor to get that phone call from the Mississippi Department of Education to serve on this uh, work group of nine superintendents. And uh, what you'll see on this group is a diverse range of school districts. And we were just here to provide considerations. You know, the product, the publication that we have here uh, that, that we're able to produce for the state is just considerations. Because what you have to remember, all school districts are in different spots, meaning how much technology they have, how much infrastructure they have. And there's a host of things that go into that. So there's not a one-size-fits-all publication or model or manual to follow. So, again, these were just considerations. And this team of, of nine superintendents, uh, eight other colleagues, under the direction of our chairwoman, uh, Dr. Benita Coleman out of Ocean Springs, I was so proud to be able to work with them. And what we did, we identified uh, – Six buckets of work, if you will, and that was academic programs, operations, family and community support, communications, health and safety, and then technology and the learning management systems. And what we did, we divided up into subgroups, and we just uh, really worked extremely hard around our topic, researching, uh, gathering facts from uh, experts, whether that be health experts, uh, gathering information from sound institutions that that uh, specialize around some of these topics, and then just talking to colleagues across the state. And uh, then we were able to, uh, to put all that together over many, many meetings virtually uh, to come up with a final product that we're very proud of. And what, what you need to note on this product is for three months only, and that's by design because this is such a fluid situation. And we understand that things are going to change. And if we tried to build a model that was for the entire year, mm. we would have spent so much time coming back, uh, adapting and, and having to put out multiple versions. So we're looking at, at tackling this three months at a time. And, and I'm proud of the work of, the, of our teams uh, with these nine, uh, eight other superintendents that I, were a part, that I was a part of. All right. So speaking of the team, do you, can I don't know if you can regurgitate it right now, but do you know the names right off of the other team members? And were there um, health officials on the team as well? So we started out with uh, Todd English from Boonville School District, Jason Harris from Columbia, Adrian Amit from Jefferson Davis County School District, Kess Smith from Lamar County, Charlotte Seals from Madison uh, County School District, Lance Evans from New Albany, our chairwoman, uh, Benita Coleman from Ocean Springs, Makisha Davis from Sunflower County, and myself. Now, of course, uh, these were the practitioners that, that are currently serving as uh, superintendents across our state. And I think that was the idea from the Mississippi Department of Education, to get people that are in the trenches, people that uh, are uh, current practitioners. And then from there, through our subgroup work, we were able to utilize our local health care officials, depending on what bucket of work we were working off of. And we were able to contact those experts within the field uh, to be able to get uh, the best and most accurate and detailed information to make decisions. And, And then some were just in the scope of operations, maybe uh, we were able to glean information for our, from our own district that, it, that works really well and be able to use this, again, uh, for our district leaders across the state. And what you'll find through this document, you might use just bits and pieces of it, and that's fine, or you might need to depend on it a little bit more. Again, just depending on where you're at in your district. Well, let's talk about that document for a minute. It's called Considerations for Reopening Mississippi Schools. Now, um, it includes three options for how schools should reopen, traditional, hybrid, or virtual. Let's break down the traditional, the hybrid, and the virtual. Sure. Yeah, when we came, uh, when we were uh, challenged to to come up with a, a plan from the Mississippi Department of Education, from Dr. Wright, on, on providing guidance, districts 
first million dollar question is what does school look like? What does schedules look like? So we tackle that right off the bat. And the first one is just your traditional schedule where students come back to school, obviously with major uh, safety precautions in place. Uh, you can't just have school like you've always had school because uh, you have a lot of students on campus, depending on your size, and you got to do things in a different way. So we came up with just some facility and staffing considerations, like some screening process from your staff and students, how you might to do that, if that's something you would like to do, uh, just all the way down to disinfectant products. Over this last couple of months, I've learned more about science, medicine, and cleaning products than ever in my life. And uh, so we've done a lot of research around that. And, again, just to provide a, a really concise document that's not 45 pages long, but it's a good, a good consideration and something you can look at with bulleted points. We also talked about, you know, creating a plan for serving students and adjusting duties for staff. Um, uh, who cannot return. Maybe you have something in, in your uh, procedure or your, uh, the way that you're going to do it in your district uh, that you need to just look at things in a different way. Limiting movement is a big thing. How do, you, how do you limit movement where you don't have a large group of, of students being funneled just to one area? What are some different things you can do? So the traditional model is, that it, is as it sounds. You come in person. However, there's major uh, safety precautions in place, and we walk through some of those. Uh, through, through our plan. And then the next one is the hybrid model, which is a combination of in-person and virtual learning, whether that be an A-B a, model where uh, you, uh, one set of students come on A-Day, but then they learn virtually the next day at home while the other group comes the following day. Or you might do a combination of you come Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're learning virtually Tuesday, Thursday. Uh, the key is you still have to go 180 days a year. Uh, that that uh, parameter has not changed. So whether you're doing traditional, whether you're doing hybrid, whether you're doing virtual, it's still important that we're providing 180 days of quality instruction uh, to the best of our ability based on the different schedules. Uh, some are looking at elementary, maybe still coming every day, and then secondary doing something different. So there's many ways that you can go about uh, that plan uh, through that hybrid model. And then the last model is the virtual schedule. Uh, and that's what it sounds like. It's 100% online. Uh, you know, when you look back to the fourth nine weeks, we shifted in a short amount of time in like less than a week in many districts on uh, instituting an at-home learning plan. And I'll tell you, our district, I'm so proud. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, did a magnificent job. And I know many other, uh, several other districts across the state uh, did a really, really good job. But what's going on to this new virtual model has got to look different. Uh, it, it has to go beyond because now we've had more time to prepare over the summer um, and, and be well-equipped in training our teachers. Like, we're providing summer training right now in technology virtually for our teachers, so they're better equipped for those that might choose the virtual path within our district. Also, you have learning management systems. There's so many learning management systems out there, and we, need, uh, we wanted to make sure that our uh, district leaders knew across the state that that's going to be an important piece to delivering online learning is, is how can you check to see how many is participating. There's different ways to do that through learning management systems and uh, just trying to, to let them know that that's going to be an important piece to that. And, of course, the training. I can't stress enough the training for our staff, but also the training for our families and students uh, to go to, those, to the virtual model. Uh, so, as you see, there's three models there that this, for consideration. Uh, every, we have local control in all of our districts, so you can see right now with all the plans that are out there that, uh, that everybody can do what they think is best because 
numbers in Forest County might be totally different than numbers in DeSoto County. Right. And you, you have to look at the, the stats here locally. you got to make decisions at the local level. And uh, we're blessed to have the authority to do that. But also, hopefully, this consideration gives districts uh, some ideas of how to go about their scheduling uh, through these three options. When do districts have to um, post it or let parents know what they've decided to do? Yes, they will. And, and a lot of what I'm seeing across the state, many districts are having their July board meetings and, uh, and getting that and running through that, that through their local school boards, uh, as, as you would expect. And then from there, you're seeing the release of uh, their plans. In addition to that, there is going to be a deadline where uh, all districts have to post on their website uh, their plan for the year. Uh, that will be on their, lo- uh, their on their district websites, just indicating what their plan is. But of course, right now, uh, districts are are needing parents to register their students. That's so critical right now. The registration process gives us an idea. No matter what everybody's schedule might be, the amount of numbers that we're looking at with our students, and then that that affects teacher units. That affect affects how we build our, our classes and things like that. So that's a critical piece. And I know there's. Uh, people that are apprehensive a little bit about coming back to school. There's some concerns, and some are waiting, and that, that's posing a little challenge. So strong, I strongly recommend that, that parents to uh, to register st- their students so that the districts can better understand uh, the, the student population they'll be dealing with so they can make uh, detailed plans around that. So well, is there a okay. oh, penalty? <laughs> I'm sorry, for um, like parents who may not hit that deadline, is there any sort of penalty to them, and how, how are you guys going to? deal with that yeah so for our district we're offering two options and i know we'll get to that in a little bit but mm-hmm. we're offering traditional in-house option uh we're, with all those safety protocols in place but also we're going to offer a virtual option on a case-by-case basis uh, depending on a family situation depending on medical issues and things of that nature so we we have a deadline and i think many other districts that are offering a hybrid or virtual are, are imposing a deadline on families to say please get your registration done by this date and indicate what route you want to go. Depending on the district, I can only speak to pedal and, and what our plan is, but um, that deadline is critically important so that we can make plans around that. And then at that point, we need to move forward uh, to, to offer the best uh, educational opportunities that we can for students. And now I, I hear you saying deadlines, and I understand deadlines are very important for districts to move forward and schools uh, to move forward, but it's very challenging, like you know as well, being a parent, to make that decision right now with cases steadily uh, spiking. A lot of parents are actually sitting back and, and waiting to see what the next few weeks look like. Um, but that is actually detrimental to the schools making their decisions on how they're going to proceed. It's almost like a catch-22. It really is. It's tough. And, I, and as a parent, as you mentioned earlier, I'm a parent too. And uh, I, I attend weekly and, and multiple times a week calls on, on COVID numbers with healthcare experts, with local and state government officials. And I'm getting accurate information on, on the numbers, and you can see the numbers. And uh, every day it's a little bit different. Uh, they're rising in some areas. So I understand there's anxiety, there's apprehension there. Um, and, you know, I know districts are going to work with families, but from a preparation standpoint, uh, it, it's important for uh, us to have those numbers so we can best plan for all of our students. But 
I know that we're going to work with our families uh, all the way to the start of school. All right. Well, we're going to uh, take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to continue our conversation with Petal School District Superintendent Dr. Matt Dillon, and we're going to dive into his school district's reopening plan. Now, phone lines are open, so if you'd like to share your thoughts, the number to call is one eight seven seven. MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Stay tuned. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for listening to MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Education Connection. I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with my co-host, Tara Wren, Director of Education here at MPB. Well, if you're just joining us today, we're discussing the reopening of Mississippi schools with our guest, Petal School District Superintendent, Dr. Matt Dillon. Now, if you'd like to ask a question or you have a comment, give us a call at one 877 well, Matt, Dr. Dillon, <laughs> um, thank you for, again, being a part of our show today. You've gave, given us some great information um, about the panel and the workforce group that you were part of uh, coming up with the reopening um, consideration document for the districts. But let's talk a little bit. Let's switch gears right now and talk a little bit about your district. Um, of course, how many schools do you have in your district um, and approximately how many students and staff? Yeah, we have approximately 4,200 students in our district and a little over 600 staff members uh, that's both certified and non-certified. We have five uh, independent schools, uh, pre-K through 12th grade. All right. So tell us about your preparation to return to school and what does your plan look like and those behind the scenes um what did that look like when you guys were in the room and deciding which model to use you know it really dates back to march you know after we got the word that school was closing for the remainder of the year not closing but transitioning to at-home learning for the remainder of the year uh, we really started thinking, well, this could be something we're going to have to look at through through the summer and into the next school year. Uh, so it really dates back to, uh, I cannot tell you on a weekly basis, dating back to March, how many video calls that I've been a part of with local state healthcare experts, lawyers, MBE officials, state and local health, uh, state and local government officials, and also school districts across the state. And I'm, I'm privileged to be a part of a group of superintendents across the nation as well. I serve as a chair, chairperson for the Eastern State Consortium, which is a national consortium of superintendents across 10 states. And it's been neat just to have conversations on a consistent basis about how their state's approaching uh, K-12 education, uh, how they're looking at it at their district. And we've been able to share ideas with each other, which has been very instrumental and very helpful in developing our plan. Uh, so switching from the last school year to the summer, it's almost like there's been no stop. There's, you know, typically there's a, a defined date that you're in the school year. You kind of shift years into the summer, 
and then you start your summer preparation for the new year. But it's almost been just a fluid, and it's just just carried on from last school year. Uh, I can tell you our team has worked harder over the summer than ever uh, since I've been here, just uh, thinking through all the different situations, scenarios, and knowing that what we planned in June changed 45 times before what we presented uh, just this week to our community. But um, it's important to know behind the scenes we have, we've been working with a lot of people from the medical field as well. Uh, what I did, I created a local uh, health care team uh, as a sounding board, and, and I vetted my plan through a local health care team of doctors right here in Forest County to ensure uh, that I was getting sound uh, medical information and the procedures and things that we have in place for our plan was vetted properly. And we're going to continue to use this team as we go throughout the year and as things change around COVID numbers or anything else. Also, I thought it was very important as we were building this plan to seek input from our people within the pedal community. So I, I've been on multiple calls with our superintendent advisory team, which I've created at every building. It's just a, a group of teachers and staff that I can – uh, uh, talk through and just listen to their concerns and, and, and share our thoughts to make sure that we're doing uh, the right things for students and staff. Also, uh, I was able to meet with the teacher leadership teams at every one of our buildings, our professional learning community leaders as well, administrators district-wide, our board of trustees, and also the district shared decision-making committee, which consists of staff, students, parents, and community members. So applying that medical advice along with the thoughts and suggestions of our own Panther team, uh, we feel like we have a very solid plan. So our plan is, uh, the Pedal Panther plan, is you have uh, the traditional model, which is the preferred model because, again, we understand uh, that uh, the importance of of students being in front of uh, teachers and and what we can get from that. And, um, And the other option uh, and, and with that traditional model, we had many safety protocols in place, and I'd be happy to go through uh, as much time as you have to go through some of those protocols and hit those high points. Uh, but the other option is the virtual option, and, and the virtual option is fully online. Uh, it's available with restrictions, so you have to have obviously uh, uh, you have to have internet access that's reliable. You got to commit to this model for nine weeks at a time uh, because uh, we can prepare our teachers and prepare our lessons in a scope and sequence. Uh, you still have to meet your uh, MDE attendance requirements, so we still have to submit the attendance to the state. Uh, as of right now, state testing is, is still something that a district across the state will participate in. Uh, therefore, it doesn't matter what model you choose, you're going to have to participate. Uh, so if our parents choose the virtual learning model, what they do is have to, they have to meet with our building-level principals. The building-level principals will walk through all of the uh, expectations around that virtual model to make sure that they can comply with that and commit to that uh, as we're trying to do what's best for all of our students. And and the neat thing about it, we're given choice. Uh, You have the choice of the traditional model, if you're comfortable coming back with those uh, restrictions in place. But also, if you're not, due to a compromised immune system, uh, due to just a concern of a family member or a loved one, uh, or just just a little anxiety about coming back in in general, you want to see how things work out. We do have this other options, but obviously there is some uh, some restrictions there that, that we can't provide everything that we provide at the building level with some of our electives and some of our other things. So that's our two choices. So how has the response from the community been to your um, choices? Yeah, so you know, with every big decision, or, or really sometimes with any decision that comes down, you get you have those that are in favor and then those that have more questions. Uh, but overwhelmingly, the text, the emails. 
uh, the phone calls that I've gotten has always started with thank you and uh, a lot of the time and saying, I know you put a lot of your team has put a lot of time, energy and effort and and salt and, and, and really looks for that sound advice because you can get on the internet right now and you can go click a link and you can find all kind of information out there. And depending on what institution or organization you go to, and, and all information is varying, but uh, we have stayed grounded with our leaders in, in the decision-making around local information that pertains to our county, our community, and, and of course following the CDC guidance in the Mississippi Department of Health. Uh, but the, the uh, overall, it's been a good response. That you have some that, that have more questions or concerns, and that's understandable. But uh, our community is so supportive of our district, and um, I, I know that they trust what we do. And uh, if they don't, uh, they'll they'll let us know, and then we can respond to them and talk with them through the process. Well, Dr. Dillon, I we could talk to you forever about all of the <laughs> um, um, specifics in your. Um, in your um, plan, but before I ask you this last question, give everyone that's listening in your area the website and some more information, phone numbers and things like that that they need if they want to talk to anybody specifically about what option they can use. And I like how you said they're going to meet with the principals of each school. That's a very good point. Make sure the parents have the best information. Make sure they have Correct. all of the information. I love your entire plan sounds very thought out. Very thought out. It just sounds uh, like a model that a lot of districts need to uh, adhere to. But let's give them that website and a phone number. Definitely. You can find our plan. It's the first thing you go to when you go to www.pedalschools.com and you can click on the link and you can see the letter I wrote to the community. In addition to that, you can see our detailed plan. It's a five-page plan. However, if you're a detailed-oriented person, we have hyperlinks all throughout the plan. It goes down to what type of cleaning products we're using. Is it EPA approved? Uh, you can see our virtual instructional plan with a hyperlink. So as much information as you want is there. Also, you can go to our uh, Pedal School District YouTube channel. It's our official YouTube channel where we put a lot of information out. I did a 38-minute video that uh, was a verbal explanation of our plan as well. If you would like to see uh, uh, the verbal side or me to walk through that plan with you, you can go there as well. Also, you can reach us at uh, the Pedal School District Central Office, 601-545-3002. But also, we've created a special email address for all uh, concerns, and that is info, I-N-F-O, at pedalschools.com. And we just ask parents to come directly to us with questions so we can get accurate and detailed information. I love uh, it. So if they can use this email address, we're responding uh, with, in less than 12 hours uh, to questions. Very good. Well, this is our last question. And, uh, of course, we're going to ask your friend coming up next, Glenn. <laughs> he told me to tell That's you right. that uh, <laughs> he, he he knows that he wasn't smart enough to be on that nine-member team workforce group. He said, but, you know, he believes that they chose the right person. <laughs> he wanted me to tell you that. Um, but uh, we're going to have him up next. But here's a question for you. A lot of administrators are in your position right now, having to make decisions that will affect thousands of families. Now, with that being said, how are you handling the pressure of it all? And what advice would you give other superintendents around the state? Uh, it's tough. This is the toughest tenure uh, stretch that I've ever had in, in administration. Uh, the reason being, uh, you're, you're working toward a moving target, and the situation changes daily. You know, we live in a society where people want uh, instant information, and I understand that. 
in these situations, it's just not that easy. And uh, what I would say is, to my community is uh, know that we're putting uh, student safety and staff safety, safety first and foremost, as we always do. In the past, you know, safety looked like it from a physical standpoint. What are you doing with school resource officers? What are you doing here? Now safety and security looks a little different because you're adding the medical component to it as well. Uh, know that we're looking at, at, at detailed information, accurate information. We're vetting our plans. We're going to change. The plan will change multiple times before the start of the year in some ways, you know, in, in many different ways. But, uh, you know, social media is out there as well, and, it, it, and then there's opinions. Uh, where people are giving their thoughts, and, and that's fine. Uh, so I tell other leaders to uh, to have a detailed plan, to be flexible, understand that that plan is going to have to change, and, and know when you lay your head down at night and get those four hours of sleep that we've been getting here of late, it seems, because we can't sleep well trying to make these tough decisions, that you're doing what's best for kids, you're doing what's best for students and families, and you're going to always have those that are going to be there to support you and and do those things and you're going to have others out there that have different opinions and just know that you're doing what's best for kids and and that uh, that should that's what most is you're taking care of your people well dr matt dillon superintendent of pedal school district thank you so much for your time and stay safe thank you all right thank you so much all right. Well, we're not going to go to break. We're going to bring our next guest on the show. I'm sure he was listening to his friend, <laughs> Dr. Matt Dillon. Good morning. Uh, Glenn East, superintendent of Gulfport School District. Good morning to everyone. How y'all doing today? Good, Good morning. Good morning. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be here. Well, I'm sure you were listening a little bit to your friend, uh, Dr. Dillon. Um, so I guess you can piggyback off a little bit about what he was saying. Let's first, before we get into um, your reopening plans, tell us a little bit about you and how long you've been a part of Gulfport School District. I've, I actually graduated from Gulfport High, uh, graduated from Millsaps College, and began teaching fourth grade in the Gulfport School District in 1983. Mm-hmm. And with just a short time working with Philip Terrell and Pastor Stan, I've been in Gulfport my entire career uh, and have been superintendent since 2005. And let me remind all of you that I became superintendent in January and dealt with Hurricane Katrina in August. So uh, these, uh, these uh, interesting times keep coming and coming, I guess. So you're going to be well prepared, and <laughs> you are well prepared now um, as you know how to go through this type of issue. I will tell you now that I would I would rather be dealing with Katrina than with this. <laughs> Katrina had a finite end, and you knew what you had to do. This changes every day, so it's, it's really a different problem-solving strategy for sure. Well, let's just dive right into talking about what changes that you've um, implemented your school's plans for reopening. So we, we began, as I heard you talk with Dr. Dillard, we began in June trying to prepare for opening school um, in August, uh, we put in a summer academy that we have just finished up yesterday where we've had K through eighth grade students uh, working in a camp environment, tend to a room uh, with their teachers, trying to keep the, uh, the normal summer uh, lax and education from happening. But uh, we've been planning constantly with parents, with our school nurses, nurses and the doctors that advise them. So like Pedal, we have our, our medical team that is constantly telling us yays and nays and, and how to look at things differently or in, a, or in a different direction as we needed. We presented to our parents um, at our last board meeting, which was July the 6th, that information went out actually on the 7th, 
our plan for reopening uh, based on what we're hearing is our, our parents are, are probably 50-50. There's, there's a lot of fear still across our state. There's also a lot of parents that, that want children back in school, but there are also a lot of parents that want to continue a virtual option so that they can, can feel safe about what they're, they're, they're moving forward trying to do educationally for their children. So we presented that plan and uh, talked about our major issues in that plan. Uh, our biggest issues going forward in opening school are transportation. Uh, you know, buses can only hold certain numbers of children, and then you put the social distancing piece on that. Of course, the wearing of masks, and then also the whole concept of wellness. You know, we're in, it's human nature somewhat that we just want to go to work every day. So we may have that small fever and, and, and take that Tylenol and head off to work, and we've got, to, we've got to stop and think about those things differently now as we go forward uh, in this COVID-19 pandemic. So our plan simply says we're going to start school traditionally as possible with CDC protocols, which for us means our students will, in the K through 8 world, will attend school. They will go to a classroom. That for the most part, they will not leave that room to change classes as they normally would. The teachers are going to make those shifts. So that cuts down on your hallway congestion. Uh, the only time they would change in the K through five world will be for, of course, you got to get them outside to play. You can't have a kindergartner that can't go outside and run and play in the sun. Also, physical education. But our art, music, library, that will all be on the cart and come to the rooms for the children. And then you have the lunch issue of how to serve lunch, um, keep the, keeping the, the same CDC protocols in place. So at, at our younger age, we're going to try to get them to the cafeteria, spread them out, our older students will be a grab-and-go kind of situation and return to that classroom. Uh, at our middle schools, it's the same concept for math, science, English, and social studies, but we are going to let them change for electives with a one-way-around system so that nobody's passing each other in the hallway. Uh, and again, keep the social distancing, the mask on, um, and, and, and control the, the possibility of the spread of COVID-19. Our high school is, is a large facility. It's like a little community college and spread out, and our class sizes there run about 20 to 1. So it will probably look the most normal, but even then we'll have some social distancing, the mask, uh, lunch service differently, and class changes will definitely be different. So all trying to take care of the kids. The thing I think we're most proud of is we spent immediately this summer, uh, our local TV station provided some time for us to provide uh, educational programs, uh, WLOX, all summer long. So in the last uh, nine weeks of our school system, we had a two-hour slot every day where we were showing educational programs that our teachers had put together, trying to keep the skills going. We have a pretty good virtual program, but the change for this fall is we have gone to this synchronous system where the teacher actually is, it's like you're in the classroom. You know, you and I are talking on radio today, but imagine us being able to talk and I can see you and we can communicate like we're sitting next to each other in class, but I may be sitting in the classroom and you may be sitting in, in, in your study or at your kitchen table at home. So we've, we've perfected that and actually have some training going on today with teachers trying to make the, the virtual experience more personal than it really was the last nine weeks in our school district, more to keep that relationship building going forward. Wow. And, you know, uh, Mississippi Public Broadcasting has a um, program that can actually help you um, 
move forward with a plan like that. Um, Tara talked about it at the top of the show. Um, I'm sure we'll love to give you that information and see if you'd like to uh, move forward with that program as well. Now, I'll go ahead. Please do. And look, go on our website. You can see our programs, and maybe we can add that, that particular part to that website for our kids. Let's get together on that as we as we talk today. That was that would be wonderful. Now, many teachers, uh, Mississippi teachers, are concerned about returning to the classroom, and quite well they should be. Now, some educators are even considering retiring because it's too dangerous for them. Has there been a teacher shortage in your district? You know, we, we, we have teachers that are concerned. You've got superintendents that are concerned. You, everybody is concerned because it's really in the school setting. The children are going to be the most resilient, and that's what all this, the, the research is really saying. But it is going to be the, the adults in the mm-hmm. building that, that are going to have the, the biggest chance of acceptability to this. So we're concerned about that. So we have we've tried to do the, we are going to do the social distancing. We have masks for them. We have shields for them, especially when they're teaching reading. We're trying to make shifts that they can get they can get out of the classroom with the kids, take a little breather, fresh air, as we used to call it back in the day, I guess, <laughs> uh, and, and try to take care of them. But yes, we are. We've got plans in place to to help teachers. Of course, the whole virtual concept, you know, helps teachers a little bit by one reducing class size, and the other kids could be at home virtually. Or if we get in a situation where that teacher uh, is actually teaching class from her home. Uh, virtually back to her students or out into the community. So all of those issues are on our mind. And, and taking care of the children first and then the teachers, that's the biggest the biggest deal. You know, a guy like me, you can do without <laughs> in a classroom. But that student and that teacher have to be able to work together. So taking care of them first is, is our main priority. Now, we know you have your job to do, but at the end of the day, you're still human. How are you handling the pressures of having to make major decisions that will affect thousands of families? I will tell you, and you can talk about my good friend Matt. There's, there's a, there are groups of us everywhere that every day are, are talking to each other. There's a whole social and emotional learning component for the schools that we're worried about, but also for the adults in the district. You have to have those conversations. You have to assure each other that what we're doing is right, and, 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 and or if it's not, how can we make it better and make it right? So those conversations every day for me with individuals like Matt or Benita Coleman over in uh, Ocean Springs or Carla Evers in Pasture Stand or Brian Freeman in Forest County. There's always this network. Uh, I also am fortunate to be a part of the same group that Matt is in Eastern States, so 10 other states giving you that information. Listen, make decisions, know that we've got to do what's best for our children, and, and it's, it's going to be uncomfortable like change is, but at the end of the day, when you lay your head down, and I'm not saying you're going to sleep, but at least you're trying to lay your head down, know that what you've done is what's best for kids. And try to conquer every little box and get that box closed and so you can have some security with it and, and move forward. The advice coming out of something like Katrina and, or, or in this situation now is keep as many people as possible involved in your school district. Uh, we, we as superintendents do not have all the answers. There are experts in the medical field. There are experts in the educational field that you have to continue to rely on and talk to and, and, and receive comfort from, quite frankly. So don't close, don't close up too quickly on who you're talking to and keep that group as uh, viable as you can and, and talk every day so that you have some comfort that what you're doing is trying to, to do what's best for our kids and make sure learning happens in Mississippi. Well, I love it. Well said. Well said. Well said. Thank, Thank you so you much for much. being a part of our show today. And you stay safe and continue to stay strong.
All right. Well, we've come to the end of another great show. We want to thank our listeners and thank our guest, Petal School District Superintendent Dr. Matt Dillon and Gulfport School Dis- District Superintendent Glenn East for joining us today. Mississippi Education Connection is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and MPB's Think Radio. Join us next Friday for another episode of Mississippi Education Connection right here on MPB Think Radio.